Bibles. I, I hope that you do this morning. If not, you can grab one there in the seat back in front of you or just pull out your smartphone and you can just Google along with me for this particular passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 16 through 21. This morning, as I, I want to take a few moments uh, for this particular message and talk about the mission of our church. Uh, there are uh, maybe environments and seasons and times where uh, you would hear a pastor say, this is my big vision sermon, or uh, this is, you know, we're setting the course for the next, you know, five years, ten years, twenty years. Now, I want to just boil things down uh, as to what is it that would be the mission of our particular church. And so I'm going to turn your attention here to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, uh, coming from uh, one of the chapters of the Bible that I would have to say is just one of my favorite places to land. It says here in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know Him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making His appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, let me pray once again. Lord Jesus, we are very grateful to You that in a moment in time so many years ago that You actually took upon Yourself all of the weight and the condemnation, and quite bluntly, the damnation for all of our sin. Lord, every evil deed that I and we have committed, You were willing to bear the brunt of judgment on our behalf. Lord, thank You that You were willing to become sin for us so that in You we might find righteousness. Jesus, as we study Your Word today, as we think about how You would use us in this community and beyond. I pray that You would illumine our hearts, that Your Spirit would fill us with power, and that we would be overjoyed as commissioned disciples in Your kingdom. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Once upon a time. It's the way that all great stories begin. Once upon a time. Oh, once upon a time, there was a family, a mom and a dad and a, a few kids, uh, that they were bumping along through life, having a happy marriage, uh, having happy children. They were beginning to find their way forward in terms of career and, and navigating what does it mean to be married, what does it mean to be parents. 
But something nagged at this mom and dad constantly about a certain void that was in their life, a certain need that just simply never got met. So they got connected to a church. And in that church, they fell into a a circle of friends where they studied the Word together, where they served together, where they volunteered together, where people loved them through the hard times of life. And as they watched their children grow and they watched their careers expand, uh, the the faith that they had put in Christ as young kids, it flourished and it blossomed into that big adult kind of faith that embraces ministry on a local level, that is embraced by a church family that wants to care and be cared for. And so once upon a time, this family that got connected to a church grew in their faith and engaged people with it. Once upon a time, there was a mom, and with her kids, she was kind of all alone in the world. Uh, She had been abandoned. Uh, She had been left on her own. She was somebody who had to just kind of make ends meet, and she always wondered whether or not she was going to make it from one paycheck to another She had a past that she really didn't like talking about in front of her kids or extended family. She really hoped that as her little one grew into teenage years and into adulthood that she would never really find out what mom's past was all about. She was covered with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And she had something nagging in her life, a void that just seemed to never be filled up by the pleasures of the world or the satisfactions that she could find and everything else that uh, the world seemed to keep doling out to her. So she got connected to a church. And getting connected to this church, she fell into a group of friends, a group of ladies that cared for one another and called each other and texted each other and emailed each other and were constantly on each other's Facebook walls, uh, constantly encouraging one another in a Bible study group and praying for one another. And so she picked up that, that there was just something different about all of these other ladies that she didn't quite have yet. And she finally discovered that it was this thing with Jesus, that, that they seemed to have this really close relationship that she had never experienced yet. And so she finally came to a point of brokenness in her own life where she said, I want, I want Jesus to be my Lord as well. And, and, and this mom who had been abandoned and had been abused and had been left on her own suddenly flourished into a woman of God who uh, began to step out in leadership and began to lead other people into a relationship with Jesus. And, and she didn't just fall into a group of friends at church. She became a leader among them. And the church began to trust her wisdom and her judgment and her knowledge. And they watched her as she grew in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and people. And, and so once upon a time, this woman went from an outsider to being a leader among all of us. Once upon a time, there were uh, some retirees. Uh, they decided that they were tired of uh, uh, cold, harsh winters and, and, and figured that a place down south is a much more likable kind of place to live. And, and so they, they moved close to the beach. They had been believers for a really long time, so they started searching out uh, for a place where they could feel like they belong and fit in and and grow and contribute, and they got connected to a church. And and so they found their way into a Bible study group where they could connect with friends and they could care for one another and they could swap stories about grandkids and they could talk about uh, the careers that they had had at one time and how God had used all of those experiences of life and leveraged them into this day and time where now they knew better how to minister uh, to people younger than themselves and their peers and their neighbors and and how they could be connected into the wider mission of God. And and they, they found this great burden for serving the Lord in a new 
refreshed kind of way, uh, that this kind of change of scenery and change of season of life opened their eyes to how God might use them in this particular day. And, and though once upon a time they got connected to a church, eventually they left so that they could go serve on the mission field because they felt sent by the Lord. And when I think about the life of a church, uh, we have this great choice that, that we make about once upon a time there was a church. And, and the, the, that once upon a time story, uh, it, it is going to end in one of two ways. It either is going to end with us embracing this call from Jesus, this call from the, to the early church that says, you now own the ministry of reconciliation. You now have been handed the message of reconciliation. You are now the ambassadors for Christ, that either we embrace that idea that we have this opportunity to be agents of reconciliation to the world, or we can fortress ourselves, build a big moat around our own relationships and, as it were, our own campus, and we can just ask everybody just to show up and make sure that what we like survives, or we can decide that what we really want is the spiritual survival of everybody else. It is either we will have this inward mentality of, could we get everybody here gathered so that we can make sure that our stuff that we prefer and that we like survive, or will we decide side that we really like the people that are in our community, and we want to make sure that they spiritually survive. And so instead of always trying to get people to gather into our stuff, we're constantly scattering into their lives. Once upon a time, we all make this particular choice. I have uh, used a particular statement now for almost two years that I, I've been with you as your pastor, that the purpose of the church is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I do want to be honest with you that this is not a statement that is new or particularly uh, uniquely applicable only to our church. This is, I would say, the purpose of all churches, historically, globally, that all churches fall under this purpose. Because everything that is in existence exists for the purpose of glorifying God, and the church, big C, theological church, church universal, global, historical, that our purpose is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, if I'm training pastors in the Middle East, I tell them that the purpose of your congregation is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. When I trained missionaries in Southeast Asia earlier this year, I said uh, the purpose of the church is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. When I preached in mega churches in Brazil a few months ago, I, I told them the purpose of your church is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is a foundational purpose for why we exist. And if we miss this, then it becomes very easy to become inward focused to think the church, the purpose of the church is to care for me and to make sure that I'm comfortable. And that is going to be a residual effect of the life of a church and being engaged with friends is that people are going to minister to you. But our core purpose of why we exist is to honor the God who is the King of glory and to bring other people into a relationship with Him, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. 
So then as I think, what is it that we have been historically? Who is it that we are today? And as I look around the, the congregation as to who it is that God has gathered into our faith family, into our Bible study groups, into our ministries, who it is that He allows us to touch in ministry and in mission impact, I think, well then, what is our particular mission inside of this purpose? What is it that, what is our little slice of it all? Because as other wiser uh, pastors have said, not everything that comes out of heaven has got your name on it. You know, the, the, the mission of the church, all that the church does is pretty wide and pretty broad, and, and, and there's a huge impact uh, that, that goes globally. But not everything that comes out of heaven necessarily has our name assigned to it. So what is it that we can do in this season of life that is our particular mission. And so I have, because I'm, I, I like words, um, and sometimes I make them up even in the middle of sermons, as you well know, I, I've I put together this one statement that I hope that will help to, maybe to, to crystallize in our minds what is it that we can do as a mission in these days ahead. It, it's uh, nothing necessarily earth-shattering, but hopefully will be uh, clarifying. It, it is this. Here's our mission empowering disciples to live our faith and love our neighbor. I mean, think what would happen if we absolutely gravitated toward those kind of ideas on a day-by-day, week-by-week, month-by-month, year-by-year effort, that we as a congregation, as a family, as a big group of, of believers, that we start with the idea that we're here to empower disciples, that means we're making disciples. It means that we want disciples to be filled with the Spirit. We want them to be filled up with the power of the Word of God. We want them to understand that they can walk in boldness and in assurance in this world, that when they face temptation, that it's not a losing battle, that we stand with victory in the righteousness that we have with Christ, because it does say that He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become. I mean, this is a powerful statement. Because of what Christ has done, He makes you into the righteousness of God. You are not the weakling who's going to barely get through the gates of heaven and have a little shack on the back 40 of it all where you can barely see the throne room. But instead, it says that Christ has taken on all of the power of the judgment of God into Himself, that He became sin for us so that we can become the very righteousness of Christ, so that we can walk in the righteousness of Christ. And so we as a congregation need to come alongside one another to empower disciples to walk and to live in the righteousness of Christ, that you don't have to live like you're barely making it. You don't have to live with a glass half empty kind of attitude all the time of, I just don't know if we're going to make it this time. I just don't know if I've got enough power against this temptation. I don't know if I can make this decision. And we want to embolden and equip and inform and empower one another as disciples. And that we will do this by living our faith and loving our neighbor. Again, I've tried to choose these words carefully. That first phrase, live our faith. Let's put that whole phrase back up on the, the screen again. That we will live our faith. In the Bible, 
The word faith gets used in two distinct ways. The word faith is used as an action. You have faith. You enact faith. You act by faith. You put your faith in something. You believe. You trust. But then the word faith is also used in, a, in another way. Specifically, we could find it in the, in the little book toward the end of the New Testament called Jude, where he says that we're supposed to contend or defend the faith given once to all the saints, that the faith, the faith, is the body of, of belief. It's the gospel. It, this is the, what we trust in. So we put faith in what, we, what the message of, of the cross is. And, and so we want to empower you not just to be moral. We don't want to empower you just with religious knowledge. We don't want to empower you just to be nice people. I remember it was uh, reportedly Mark Twain, the great American author who, who did not particularly care for the churches of his day, who said that church is basically just good people standing in front of good people telling them how to be good people. And, and yet that's not really reflective of what the Bible says the church is supposed to be, that instead that we're supposed to live out the very beliefs that we hold dear. The book of James tells us that faith without works is dead. And so, Paul, here in this passage, if you read the first half of chapter 5, he is describing to them how it is that we have, that we have been made new, how it is that we're going to be at home with the Lord one day, how we're all going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he says, because of this, we want to persuade people about all of this. We want to persuade people to a new way of living. He says, you've been given the message of reconciliation as a minister of reconciliation to plead with the world. These are actions of our faith. And so we want to empower people to live out our faith, not like a little individualistic lone ranger, I'm all on my own solo kind of mission faith, but that we're in this thing together living out our faith together, that we're helping one another live this out, and then also to love our neighbor. <laughs> Again, if you creep a little earlier into the chapter that I read, Paul reminds the, the disciples that are in Corinth there in verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all and all died, and he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. He said it's the very love of Christ that is the compulsion of our life. When the religious elites of Jesus' day questioned him, what's the greatest commandment? He said it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second command is like the first, and it is to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two ideas. And so we are called to empower one another to love our neighbor. And the reason that I think it's got to be couched under the auspices of empowering disciples is that sometimes it's hard to love your neighbor. Sometimes we let our pride and our prejudices, sometimes we let our own personal restrictions or even racism get in the way where we don't love our neighbor. We're willing to tolerate. 
We're willing to send money over to something else. We're willing for somebody else to do the engagement because those people are not like me, or I don't want to get in the middle of their mess, or their family is just kind of too messed up for me to have to… I got my own stuff going on over here. And yet, we are clearly called by Scripture to love our neighbor. And that means your neighbor that's close by, across the street, down the hall, in your apartment complex, or in the next cubicle over. Uh, Your neighbor is the person that's right here in the city, right here in the county. But also, Jesus makes it really clear from His parable of the Good Samaritan that your neighbor is whoever you find that's in trouble, whoever you find that's hurting. And and so that's why uh, it is loving our neighbor when we care for Uh, persecuted Christians from Iraq that are refugees in Jordan. Uh, That's why it's loving our neighbor when when we care for uh, orphaned children uh, that need to find their way into a foster home through uh, one more child in Florida Baptist Children's Home. This is why loving our neighbor is being a part of a, a life group where you welcome in new people constantly because everybody's got hurts and hang ups. And we want to empower one another to live our faith and love our neighbor. And why is this? It's because of the cross. The cross has redefined our life. The cross of Christ has changed everything for us. It is, you know, I don't think that it's any a cosmic accident that the the cross helps to represent for us an, an upward view toward God of making sure that we keep our eyes focused upon Him and an outward view toward other people that need to be reached out to in need, that we constantly are trying to grow up in our faith and reach out with kindness and compassion. This mission of the church of empowering disciples to live our faith and love our neighbor. Now, I'm one of those, and maybe you are as well, is I want to know whether or not we're actually getting this done. I, like, I, I want to know how do, you, you know how do you figure out whether or not we, we have been fruitful? How do we figure out if we've been faithful? Uh, sometimes we'll even couch it in the, the language, uh, the business language of successful. How do we know if we're actually doing this? And so it means that we've got to put a few handholds to, to grab to, to say, how do we know whether or not we're empowering people to live our faith and love our neighbor? Because that's kind of squishy concepts that you can't count. Uh, you can't count love. You can't count living. So how are we going to know whether or not we're doing this? Well, I'll, let me then define for you what I think is a way for us to define fruitfulness in the life of our church. Because if Paul, this call from him to say that we don't know people from a worldly perspective anymore, that we know people differently, we know Christ differently, that we're a new creation, old has passed, new has come, that God is busy reconciling the world through Himself. There are some very basic kind of ways that we can try to figure out whether or not we're participating in this work, and we do that on a regular basis. Uh, We count the number that are in attendance of worship services and Bible studies, and we count the offerings and and all the tithes that you give, and, and we count the number of people who come to ministries and connection events. I mean, there are certain things that we can count, but it's gotta be more than just counting nickels and noses. And so how can we define fruitfulness? Well, I'll, I'll remind you back to uh, a series of messages that I preached earlier this year about being the 3M church. 
Let me remind you what those M's are, because those will help to give us some metrics about how are we going to know whether or not we're being faithful and fruitful. Number one is multiply. Are we multiplying the number of disciples that are in the world today? Are we helping more and more people follow Jesus? And, and so this is, uh, this is a real number that we count. Are, are, we, are we helping to multiply in a sense that there are more people that are coming to Christ, meaning am I personally evangelizing others in my sphere of friendships and influence? Am I personally sharing my faith is, is our life group personally involved in bringing people into faith with Christ? Am I and are we personally evangelizing? In our worship services, am I making sure that the lost are here so that they can hear uh, the, the gospel proclaimed so that they will know that Jesus is the great reconciler, uh, so that they'll understand that their sin has put them in eternal danger, and that they can hear that caution and that warning so that they, they can then accept the hope that we find in Christ. Are we making sure that connection events like the fall festival are not just big carnivals for the community, but they're actually places where I am befriending people, that I'm not just there to facilitate whether or not the kid does the ring toss, I'm there to make sure that I learn his name, his mom's name. I'm not just doling out cotton candy and popcorn. I'm engaging with people to see who can I invite to my home for dinner, who can I invite to sit with me in the worship service, so that we're connecting with people, not just giving religious entertainment to people. And so we want to multiply the number of believers that are in the world on a personal and a congregational level. And secondly, the second M is mature. Are we helping and empowering and facilitating that people will mature in their faith? Uh, and, and we do this, and we have historically done this as a congregation through Bible study ministries, because we believe that the Word of God makes a claim that it is powerful and effective for the equipping of the saints. And so we want you to be in close contact with the Word of God as often as you can be. That means in your personal life, and it means in our congregational life. That when, when we read a passage like this, and he says, we are ambassadors for Christ, that we take that seriously. And if I'm going to be an ambassador for Christ, if I'm going to be the ambassador to the king, I need to know what the king's message is. I need to know who the king is. I need to know what the king's business is. I need to know what would the king do if he were here, because that's what it means to be an ambassador. The king or the political power, he can't show up at this particular moment, and so he has sent you in his stead to be his representative. And so you need to be mature enough to know what would the king say, what would the king do, what is the will of the king. So we do that by being in Bible study. Now, here at, at First Bradenton, I've joked with a lot of people that when I got here uh, two years ago, I immediately found out that there were three different names for the way that we did Bible studies here. Uh, but it wasn't three. I was wrong. There weren't three. There were five. And then I was wrong again because there weren't five. There were actually seven. 
And so I, I said uh, a long, long time ago, look, I'm just going to call everything a life group for a while until we can kind of figure out what's what. And, and, and so when we talk about Bible studies here at the Life of the Church, uh, I'm going to use the language, and I've asked the staff to come along with me, that we're going to use the language of two different kinds of Bible study groups. There are life groups and there are growth groups. And here are, are four, uh, four really easy ways for you to think about what these groups are that a life group is your primary group. Now, for some of you, that means it's a Sunday morning group that you have uh, historically called your Sunday school class or your adult Bible fellowship, or you just called it your Bible study group. This is your primary group. This is the one that is your go-to group. This is the one that, you, that you're in for an ongoing period of time where you're going to be with this thing. There's no conclusion date. There's no end date. You're, you're in this thing for the long haul because you minister to one another, because you're in each other's lives, because you're calling each other, you're checking up on each other, you're taking care of each other, and it's got this kind of comprehensive view that we want to make sure that we introduce the whole counsel of God into the life of our life group, that we're constantly that we don't just get stuck on one thing and one thing only. We're not just kind of a one-note band, but we're trying to do a comprehensive study about how the Bible engages all of our life. And then the, secondly, there are growth groups. And these secondary groups in our lives, you've got a life group that you're a part of, but this secondary group is where you go in for a short-term period of time. Like it's seven weeks, or it's nine weeks, or it's 12 weeks, or it could even be like a 52-week program where you're going to read the Bible through with a group of uh, friends, but it's got a time limit to it, and it's more topical-driven so that it can equip you about a particular subject. So it's a growth group, like some of the ladies are going through discerning the voice of God. Some of the guys are going through manhood restored. And so with the ladies, they're trying to get equipped on this one particular topic about how do we really understand when God is speaking to us. And with the guys, they're trying to get a, a biblical framework and worldview of what is manhood all about from a biblical standard. And so we've got these life groups that are ongoing, and you stay with for the long haul for ministry, and you've got these growth groups that you dip in and out of to get equipped about a particular topic. So we multiply, we want to mature, and then we want to mobilize. Uh, we want to we get past ourselves. And the mobilization piece has actually been like one of the easier pieces uh, because it's historically, it's who we are. Uh, we mobilize into compassion ministries. We've mobilized historically and presently into supporting church plants in other places. We mobilize by uh, uh, launching people into leadership places within the life of our church. Uh, we want to mobilize by helping one another be equipped to share the gospel, go with the gospel, be on location with the gospel, whether that means a few blocks away or whether that means a bunch of time zones away. That's how we're going to be able to measure. And so then, what do we do right now? I mean, all of these ideas that the big C church, that we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ, that our local expression during this slice of history is that we can empower disciples to live our faith and love our neighbor, to grow up in who we are as Christians, and to reach out to other people that are hurting and need to hear the gospel. 
Well, I want to encourage you to embrace with me over the next six months uh, three different emphases uh, that we can uh, latch on to. And so if this is something that you're brand new to the idea of faith and you want to enter into and understand that Christ is your reconciler, or whether you've been a believer for a really long time, uh, these are all ways that we can get involved. Number one is life groups. Everyone in a life group and a life group for everyone. Not everybody in this room is attending a life group right now. And we want you to find your way into a life group. And if you visit one, two, three, four different life groups and you just think, I just don't fit anywhere, well then I need for you to just do me the favor of either calling myself or John Gregory, our associate pastor, and, and we're going to find a way to launch another life group. Right now we're in the process of helping a few people launch some new life groups. Because the more life groups we have, the more connection points that people can make into the, into the church, and the more different avenues people that don't know Jesus yet find out what it looks like to be related to Jesus through watching their friends live out their faith. And so we want everybody to be in a life group, and we want to make sure that we have a life group for everyone. Now, the second half of that phrase means that some of you that are mature in your faith, and you've been attending a life group for a really long time, that we might be knocking on your door eventually to say, hey, you're really great with people, and you love the Lord, and you're mature in your faith, and so we want to ask you to launch a new life group in your home or on Sunday morning or on Thursday nights or in the middle of the day on Tuesday in order for people to be ministered to really well and to grow in their faith. Secondly is the leadership development pipeline. This church has a great history of having top-tier leaders, people from the community, people from the business world, people from nonprofit organizations, even a whole uh, like little mini fraternity of former pastors and ministers in the life of our church. And, and we want to continue on this great heritage of helping people to develop their leadership skills. And so starting in October for six months, I'm going to be uh, directing a leadership development pipeline course it's going to meet 12 times over the course of six months. All of our staff members are going to participate. They're actually, they're going to help me in some of the teaching as well. And we want to invite you to get involved with it. It, it takes a little bit more con commitment in terms of, of the study uh, of maybe a typical Bible study that you would have been a part of. But you can find out all the details at firstbradenton.com leadership. Or you can sign up there, or you can email us in the church office and let us know that you want to be a part of it. We'd love for you to jump into it. And if you say, well, I can't do it right now, that's okay. Uh, there'll be, we're going to cycle through for six months, tweak it, fix it, whatever didn't work well, and then we're going to do it again next year. But then finally, I, I'm going to invite all of our adults in the beginning portion of next year to, to take an assessment with me. I'm not going to ask you to do it, and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to ask you to do it with me. There's an assessment that's called the Transformational Discipleship Assessment. When you take this assessment, you're the only one who's going to know the results. Nobody else is going to know your scores. But it's going to give you a tool in your life to know where your strengths are spiritually and where your weaknesses are spiritually. Uh, it, it's a, I, I can go through a long harangue about it. I'm really familiar with it. I was part of the research group that actually came up with this uh, a number of years ago. Uh, but it's a tool that we can use as a congregation so that you individually will know how are you doing spiritually, and then we can kind of measure some 
key characteristics among us collectively about where do we need to work as a congregation so that we can grow up in our faith and that we can reach out to more people, so that we can live our faith and we can love our neighbors as best as we can. That'll be coming next year. Folks, I want to just remind you that when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, sometimes we romanticize a little bit who's in the Bible. Uh, You know, these are people that were, you know, just so, they were the super Christians of their day. You know, this was Superman and Wonder Woman Christian, you know, that were flying around the Roman Empire. Uh, When Paul writes this letter, 2 Corinthians, he is writing to people that are just like us, just salt-of-the-earth kind of people, just normal, going-about-your-business kind of people, just I'm-trying-to-live-my-faith kind of people. And when he says to them, you are now holding in your hand the ministry of reconciliation, you are holding within your mind, and you have been committed to the message of reconciliation. As big of an idea as you think that is for you, that's as big of an idea as it was for those Corinthians back then. It was this revolutionary moment where all of us then need to be empowered, equipped about how to live this out. And I want to say to any of you that are here today that you would say, you know, well, I'm, I'm not a Christian yet. I've been checking out Jesus stuff. I've been thinking about church things. I've come into your particular service today. And uh, like you said earlier, you know, I think my weird matches all of your weird, and I'm just as odd as you are, and maybe we all match and we could be friends. But here's the thing that I really want you to know is that, that, that Jesus is incredibly serious about who you are as a human being. Serious to the point that he was willing to die in your place for your sins on the cross of Calvary, go into the grave physically dead, and then by the power of God be resurrected on your behalf so that he could gain glory through your salvation. Because he wants you to be saved and to know him on a personal level. The king of glory wants you to know him. And so I want to encourage you that if you find yourself in a position today where you're thinking about putting your faith in Christ, that you do put your faith in Christ. And in just a moment, as we have a time of prayer, I'm going to guide you and ask you to make that kind of decision. If you're a Christian this morning, here's the decision I would ask for you to make, and that is to get on your face before the Lord, whether that be physically and literally or whether that be kind of emotionally and spiritually, to say, I want to be serious about being an ambassador for Christ. I don't want to just be an attendee. I want to be an ambassador. I don't want to just be a receiver. I want to be a giver. I want to be a person who empowers, uh, not just someone who sits around, you know, expecting to soak up everything. This is your opportunity for you to say to the Lord, I've got people in my life that they're counting on me being empowered so that I can live out my faith and love my neighbor in such a way that they can hear the message of reconciliation from a minister of reconciliation so that they'll know that the one who had no sin became sin for them so that in him they might become the righteousness of Christ. That's that's why we're here. So I want to encourage you to pray big today. Pray big today. You see, because once upon a time, you got connected to a church, and this might be the moment where God is asking you to step out in faith. Let's pray.